don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. The manager of Brazil's national football team is an impressive individual by all accounts. Composed, self-assured, Chiche has earned admiration for his ability to step into a press conference full of rabid members of the Brazilian media and just patiently win them over through an open and collegiate dialogue. Let's just say poor old Chiche has his work cut out for him this morning. You're very welcome to the first episode in a brand new series of Second Captain Saturday. We're going to be with you for the next couple of months interviewing some incredibly interesting people from the world of music, comedy, film and beyond. But this morning, it's a heavy focus on sport. How could it not be on a World Cup day like today? Hey, Murph. Hey there, all. How's it going? Well, it's going pretty well. Brazil are the latest superpower to get knocked out of this absolutely insane World Cup. It leaves the competition more winnable than ever. And it might even open up the door a little bit wider for England. Mm. They play Sweden at three o'clock this afternoon. If they get through that one, they're just one game away from a shot of France or Belgium in the final. Now, earlier in the tournament... Let's be honest, it was obviously pretty okay to wish them well. Many of us have shared the historical baggage, Murph, and they, they do seem like a nice bunch of lads. Who wouldn't want them to Lovely win a game or two, score a few goals? Now it looks like they have a chance of winning this thing and going all the way. We have to ask the question, do we want England to win the World <laughs> Cup? Are we wishing them well? Murph, you haven't gone as far as the England fan who has the names of the entire 23-man squad tattooed on his leg. No, not yet. It's a long week, though. You know, it is eight days before the World Cup final, so who knows, Owen. But you are cheering them on. Well, see, this is the thing, Owen. My support for England grew almost entirely organically. You know, you leave it up to the last minute before you decide who you're supporting in a match, in any sport, and all of a sudden you, the game starts and it becomes clear to you, OK, I'm supporting Kilkenny or yeah. whatever. So before the first game started against Tunisia, I didn't know I was an England supporter, but then the game starts... And well, there we are. I'm I don't know how many England. people outside of Kilkenny are supporting Kilkenny, but that's another that's matter. Another going. That's a far more difficult uh, <laughs> divisive topic. Yeah, but uh, so you know, I approach it exactly like that. Yeah. You know, I'm not ruling out the fact that if in eight days' time in the World Cup final, France are there playing England, the game starts and I decide that I start supporting France. I mean, that's fine with me. You know, I'm not going to feel like I'm a turncoat. <laughs> like last night, I thought I was supporting Brazil. Turns out, Belgium played brilliantly. I wanted them to win. You know, it's not an article of faith for me, you know. Uh, but I do find it interesting. You know, it's, you have this discussion with people and one of the things that keeps coming up is, oh, the BBC coverage. You know, how could, how, you know, that must be so annoying, you know. It's like the enthusiasm that they bring, it's obviously one-eyed, but it also happens to be what the World Cup is actually all about. I mean, if you get annoyed by someone else's joy mm. and I don't, it kind of sounds like you're the person with the problem, not me. You know, it, that's what we're talking about here. Someone's happiness. So it's a World Cup without Ireland. Uh, I think you're free to support whoever you want. I don't think it's a sign of a maturing nation. I've seen people writing articles saying that people who support England are ramming it down people's throats. They're virtue signalling how enlightened they are. People like yourself, yeah. Yeah, well, no, but I haven't actually any, I haven't actually seen someone say you should be supporting England. That's certainly not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is I'm supporting this England team and I also reserve the right to, you know, not support them when it comes to crunch time and it, we realise there is actually a chance that they could win this. Now, you've saved your case clearly. You're supporting England. Not quite at Ross Kemp post-Columbia game levels, though. You will never know what that means to me. That is everything. Everything! We love you, boys. We love you. 
I would love to be watching no. a match of Ross Kemp this afternoon. <laughs> really? Well, maybe 10 I, minutes I, of I it. I don't think even my admiration for this England team could possibly outlive uh, <laughs> 90 minutes spent in the company of Ross Kemp. Drop us a text or tweet us. Let us know if you're on Murph's side on this one. I think we've got the perfect guest for the day that's in it. 22 years on from writing the lyrics of the song Three Lines, England's anthem during Euro 96. David Baddiel is right in the middle of the madness once again. It's kind of crazy. Football's coming home is what the tune says. And they've latched onto that sentiment up and down the country. It's been turned into a thousand internet memes. The England players are getting into it. Even their manager, Carrot Southgate, is now literally being asked on the BBC the night before the biggest <laughs> moment of his life, Gareth, is football coming home? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like it's the phrase. It's not, are we going to win the World Cup? Is football yeah. coming home? And it's actually, I mean, it's, it's coming home. You don't yeah. even have to say football. People understand what you're saying. So David has been asked to do a load of interviews in the UK and Ireland. This is the one that he's chosen to do. And we thank him very much for that. I feel like I should probably say that David Baddiel is also a novelist, a writer of children's books. He's just come off a spectacularly successful stand-up tour. He wrote the screenplay for the Infidel movie. But for the purposes of this morning's chat, <laughs> he's the guy who Prominent wrote Three Lions fan. with Frank Skinner. Yeah. yeah, David Baddiel. And as always, we will dissect David's own sporting abilities. Murph, please tell everyone how we do this. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Right, this season we'll rank the sporting lives of our guests based on their all-time sporting highlight from their own careers. We'll, we'll also assign them an actual sports person who we believe best reflects their abilities. This will not always be complimentary, Owen. A uh, quick reminder of our all-time list. Our champions over the past two years have been Commonwealth Games gymnast Gabby Logan and five-time national swimming champion Dorothy Cross. Dorothy pipped Claire Balding to top spot last year after we discovered Claire's Oliver Cromwell <laughs> family lake, so fair is fair. Uh, our worst ranked guests are blind boy Bo- club from the Rubber Bandits whose sporting highlight was once seeing Paul O'Connell throw a tennis ball at a teacher's head and Maeve Higgins whose highlight was crying when her mum bought her a yellow hurling helmet age 7 I feel like Maeve and Blind Boy were both comfortable enough with those positions I think they would have put up quite a scrap if they hadn't been last Before all that let's get straight over to our man Ken Early in Moscow Hi Ken Hi Owen how are you? Well I'm very good Ken I'm a lot better than poor old Neymar I've got a copy of the Irish Examiner in front of me here and the front page is a huge picture of a very lonely looking Brazilian footballer with the headline No More Neymar There's nothing quite like Brazil getting knocked out of the World Cup is there? Well I mean it's it's. I feel really sorry for um, Brazil in some ways um, I think they've gone out of the World Cup without really ever playing that well and I think that the tournament has, in particular, been a total disaster for Neymar, who has, over the last year, taken a, a really winning hand in football, and he's he's blown it. He's he's now stranded uh, at Paris Saint Germain. He has, um, you know, I think he's hoping to get away to Real Madrid, but I think he's damaged his reputation so much in this World Cup. Uh, that he's he's become sort of synonymous with a level of ridiculous diving and uh, acting that I I honestly don't think ever, any player has ever owned the concept as much as Neymar now does after this World Cup. So I've got to say that overall, um, it's been an utter catastrophe for his career. It's not all Neymar's fault, surely. There's 11 guys out there. I'm not saying that it's all his fault. I'm talking about what he's done to his own reputation. I mean, there, there was a time when Neymar was regarded as, you know, the, the, next, uh, the next Lionel Messi, the kind of the player who would, who would you know, t- take over as, as the best player in the world. Does anybody still think that now? Neymar is a joke. His, his, uh, the, he has, he's not even the best player at his club team. 
he hasn't been the best player in his international team at this tournament. And he certainly wasn't anything close to the best player on the pitch last night. I mean, Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku were all far better than he was. Uh, when he, what, what did he do? What did he do to, to help save Brazil? He ran around looking for penalties. That's what people associate Neymar with now. I mean, it's, it's easy to forget that underneath all this, there remains, you know, a, a brilliant football player. But I'm afraid that once you develop a reputation, this spectacular... It's, it sticks. Neymar thought he was being clever. You know, when he, when he, when he did this, um, I was at the, the game where he, uh, he, he sort of pretended that he'd been stamped on viciously by uh, one of the Mexican players, Layun, hmm. and, and sort of thrashed about on the sideline. And you could see his teammates kind of sniggering as they looked down at him because they knew what was going on. But the problem for Neymar is that that is what he will be remembered for. That is what his World Cup will be remembered for. I mean, people were compiling statistics about how much time he'd spent on the ground. It was like 15 minutes, <laughs> 15 minutes of, of World Cup play. Neymar had spent lying on the ground. And for almost none of them was he actually injured. For almost none of those minutes should, be, should he be on the ground. And that's what he's got to be remembered for. That's, he, he's, made his, he, he's made his reputation. This is it. This was his World Cup. He's 26 years old. You know... Who knows where he's going to be in, in four years' time? Because I think there's a good argument that four years ago, he was a better player than he is now. Or at least he wasn't prey to these sorts of faults. I mean, he, he still fell around a bit, sure. But he was also famous for doing brilliant things and scoring brilliant goals. But that's, that's kind of been blotted out now by all of this other stuff that he did, thinking, thinking he was being clever, when actually he was ruining himself. Well, the tournament now turns into a little many European championships and one of those European European-ish teams is England Ken where do you stand <laughs> on, on this post of Europe on, yes. yeah indeed yeah when do you uh, where do you stand on the thorny issue of supporting England now that they actually have a chance of winning this World Cup I'm surprised here that this is a thorny issue mm-hmm. this is a simple question do you support you know as an Irish football um, supporter do you support England in the World Cup the answer is clearly no um, I mean England is another, is another country. It's, it's, it's like international football is... The only reason, I think, to support an, another country um, is that they're playing a country that you want to lose. So, you know, I, don't, I, I haven't seen that yet come into, play, um, come into play with England. I mean, it's a simple question. I think I'm probably preaching to, to the converted here. I mean, I know there's been a little bit of, oh, are we... You know, this, this English team is, is actually quite nice. And, you know, maybe... You know, it's, it, it would seem like a kind of a, an enlightened thing to do to to just sort of step away from all of these, you know, um, ancient and, and threadbare grudges and to, and to be a little bit more generous of spirit and to open our hearts and to cheer on the neighbours. And I'm saying, forget all that. <laughs> forget all that. It, we're, I'm, not, I'm not preaching hatred against England. Well, it sounds like there's a little bit of an anti-England thing going on there, no? The English football team, as distinct from the English nation, the English people. I mean, the England football team is not our team. It is, it is their team. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not something, I, I mean, I, I can't believe, I think that a lot, I think the people who, who do, um, who do think that Irish people should, should support England aren't usually interested in football or don't understand the game at all. Because the whole point of winning in this international football is not only for yourself to win, but to destroy the others, um, to, uh, <laughs> to, to crush your enemies and to hear the lamentations of their women. <laughs> and 
Uh, and if you take that away, I mean, if, if, if you take away the enemies, if you, if, you know, for instance, in Ireland and in Scotland and in Germany and France and Argentina, which are kind of the countries which are typically rivals or historic rivals or countries that want England to lose, uh, if they were suddenly to sort of be coming over to England's side and saying, we're actually, we're with you guys, you know, go for it, it would kind of take away the savor of it. Anyway. It's like, who are we beating here? Who are we, who are we making unhappy? You know, whereas if they do somehow manage to win, and they are still quite a long way away from winning, it has to be said. I mean, a friend of mine said, you know, I've been listening to talk sport, and the way they talk about this, um, it's like, you know, it, when, they, when they talk about if we get past Sweden, it's like when the star player says, if selected. And, you know, he could, he, could, he could get this sort of, he could get this sense of, yeah, you know, this, is, this one is pretty much uh, in the bag. Uh, what I'm saying is that if they do somehow manage to win, then knowing how sickened people are, all the haters and losers, uh, knowing how sickened they are in Scotland and in Ireland and in Germany and France and Argentina, will, I think, add greatly to the sweetness of victory. And I don't think that we should take that away from them by trying to clamber on, on board the England bandwagon, a place where we have no real right to be. And there's, there's plenty of people on that bandwagon, by the way, who'll point that out to you if you try to get on the bandwagon. <laughs> this is an England-only bandwagon, you know? So it's strictly tebid test. If you feel English, welcome aboard. If not, you know, step off. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's a simple question. I don't think... Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, I think when, when Irish people are confronted with the full horror of the prospect of England actually winning that World Cup. When you see some of the coverage that's already happening, when you see some of the, the sort of the over-celebratory triumphalism that's already been going on, and you imagine that multiplied a thousandfold or a millionfold, I think that then most Irish people will realise, oh, hang on, this, nah. I mean, a great run, yes. Uh, they've given us a good run for their money. But at the end of the day, I have to say, no. <laughs> All right, we'll get back to you before the end of the show again. Thanks for now. You can get in touch with us on Second Captain Saturday. Text 51551, tweet at Second Captains. David Bedeal is coming right up. The Blue Tones there with slight return from 1996, the year we're sticking with now because the English football team are just hours away from going for a place in the World Cup semi-final and fans from Manchester to Moscow are belting out the lyrics of Three Lions as the country parties like it's 1996. It gives me great pleasure to introduce David Bedeal as our first guest of a new series of Second Captain Saturday. David, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, it's lovely to be here. It's four years, I think, since I've been on the show. Yeah. Uh, I like to come on when there's a World Cup on. <laughs> really. that, that's my plan, is to come on every World Cup and speak to you. And yeah, it's lovely to be back. I presume this World Cup, you've got the, uh, your excitement levels are going through the roof at this point? Yeah, well, it's been a brilliant World Cup, actually, in general. I mean, before I get on to the whole England thing, yeah. uh, you know, the World Cup is often something that, as football fans, we look forward to immensely for a very long time, and then it's a bit disappointing. Uh, and having both watched it here and then, and also gone to a lot of them, it is a brilliant thing always, but it can, you know, especially the big games can slightly let, let you down. Uh, but uh, this one, I just think, has been, on the whole, amazing. A lot of, like extraordinary games extraordinary drama and all that and then yes the England thing has been a ride and a half you know uh, I'm not sure there's been that much great football 
uh, around the England games, but it's certainly been emotional and amazing and the reaction in this country has been incredible. Yeah, it looks like. I see you watched the Columbia game with an old friend. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? Because um, we here's the thing, right? Um, that all began in a way sort of interesting that when I was on the Today programme here on Radio 4 after, I think, the Tunisia game or something. One of the games, one of the earlier England games. And Martha Carney, who is on that programme, said to me, where did you watch the game? And I said, round at Frank Skinner's house, like just like I would. <laughs> and she said, oh, right. And then next thing I knew, lots of people on Twitter were saying, I think it's great that you watch the game with Frank. And I was like, yeah, you know, fantasy football in the first place was a representation of our real life. You know, we didn't conjure up fantasy football as a studio environment out of nowhere. We basically just said, let's put our home life on the telly. So we were always watching football together. We were mates watching football together. We don't live together anymore. We live on the same street, though. We live on the same. So, uh, you know, we're always going to be watching those games together. So, but people seem to think that was kind of sort of amazing. Like, you know, the people from Outnumbered have got together. You know, yeah, like yeah, Hugh yeah, Dennis yeah. and Claire Skinner have got together. The people who were in the sitcom Outnumbered, yeah? yeah the yeah. man and wife in that show are now dating in real life, okay? <laughs> and people always love that when something from the telly happens in real life. But what we did on the telly was happening in real life before it was on the telly. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, and and after now. But I mean... And after now, exactly. Yeah, the, like the song though has exploded again this summer in a way even that it hasn't happened since Euro 96. I mean, we've all mm. seen the memes and the videos. I mean, that mm. must be just extraordinary for you and so uh, heartwarming and amazing yeah. for yourself and Frank to live through all over again. Yeah, it has been really, really nice and uh, kind of different, I guess. Uh, I mean, I'll, you know, the big difference, uh, apart from us being older, um, is is social media because obviously that didn't exist in 1996. So then it was just obviously in Wembley, uh, it was in the charts and there was a sense that it was the soundtrack of that summer. But... Uh, you don't get this thing that you get now is that if there is something that happens, which is a big communal thing that, that everyone's into, it's multiplied by, you know, a thousand because, you know, everyone's talking about it and making memes and showing their street party at which it's all being sung or whatever. So that feels like like a weird thing, like like your thing that you did is suddenly, you know, it's not just in the world, it's in cyberspace. <laughs> so that's kind of odd. But there's, it's nice. It's really nice. And so far... The only backlash elements, because I'm expecting obviously a backlash, has come from Scottish fans. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw this, there was one meme, which is from Groundhog Day. Uh, in all the memes, there's one meme from Groundhog Day, which is an alarm clock going off and playing uh, uh, Three Lions and Bill Murray smashing it to pieces. And that, that was created by Scottish fans. Uh, but that's good as well, because that's all part of the, you know, that's what you would want. I must uh, ask there, you, there's yeah. a new one every day. I mean, a new, I, I saw one today with a Close Encounters one. Basically, anywhere where there's a bit of music <laughs> and you know, or a bit of dancing, someone's found a way of getting three lions. But you should check out the Close Encounters one because it is great. Well, I think I, I have to say Putin playing it on the piano is yeah. probably my Murph. What have, you, what have you got as your favourite? Uh, well, uh, the only Fools and Horses one, just because yeah. the setup is a little more lengthy. You're kind of waiting a little yeah. longer for the for the. <laughs> well, there's two, there's to come two in. things I love about the Only Fools and Horses one. I have to say, one is. It is brilliant that he says Gary and then, you know, it comes yeah. to Gareth Southgate, who appears to be smiling as the song <laughs> plays. And there's something else I do really like about it, which I haven't said in case it sounds a bit too nationalistic, but I'm going to say it now. It's the only one which is English. You know, all the other yeah. ones, they tend to be big American movies or whatever. It's a Shawshank Redemption or whatever. But that's deeply English, of course, only fools and horses. And there's something I really like about that. Uh, it's not just an internet thing, though. The song is literally stopping traffic in London, from what I can see. Yeah, well, straight away. I mean, as soon as Columbia, you know, the Columbia was over, I mean, obviously I saw it on social media, but people were posting like Shoreditch High Street 
traffic stopped. I mean, that is something that people say, isn't it? That people say when, when there's a phenomenon is it stopped traffic, but this actually did stop traffic. You know, you can see buses not able to get past uh, because there were huge crowds singing it. And then it's the same on in Birmingham and uh, all over the place, uh, which, yeah, it's, it is totally amazing. I, I, I mean, people have slightly said to me, you know, why is it happening now? And my answer is, well, because England are playing well, primarily. I mean, you know, we haven't had England playing this well and in, with this kind of joy in a sense that, that there is a real chance of winning it. That hasn't happened since 1996. And the song, only, you know, it, it's not like a Christmas song. I've heard a few people say it's like a Christmas song. No, Christmas every year is kind of, you know, probably quite joyful or whatever. You know, Christmas is the same every year. But England is not the same every year. And if England don't do well, the song doesn't come out of the box because it's like it's a song about football's coming home i.e. we're going to win it and <laughs> however wrong or right that might be the more it feels right the more the song's around we might need to back up a little bit here David because sorry listeners yeah. well just listeners under the age of maybe 28 or so might not have a breeze what we've been talking about for the last yeah. few minutes can you remind us of what happened in, in Euro 96 in the sense of this song that you guys had written the lyrics for taking off yeah. like, when did it become a thing in 96 we should back up, but I'm just going to, before we back up, say one thing I have seen loads and loads and loads of, which is a new phenomenon this time, is kids who have been taught it by their parents or even in school and stuff doing it. I get loads of films sent to me of like 11-year-olds singing it and schools Brilliant. singing it or whatever. So clearly those people were not around in 1996, but it is being passed on to them. But for anyone who doesn't know, and there, must, and there definitely are some people who don't know, because I've noticed as well, newspapers have done a guide to the lyrics of three lines so people don't understand. Uh, what happened was, there always was an England football song that was like part of the World Cup or whatever. Uh, sometimes, and, and teams, you know, Chelsea's got their blue is the colour and whatever. So football songs used to be a, a bit of a thing, but they always used to be kind of novelty songs. Uh, and then I guess that changed really with uh, World Emotion by New Order, and then the Lightning Seeds, a band with a guy called Ian Brody in it, were asked to do the football song for Euro 96. And Ian Brody, for you know reasons that I, I am only thankful for, thought, I'll get David Baddiel and Frank Skinner to write the lyrics for this because we were doing a show called Fantasy Football League that was a comedy show about football, which no one had really done that before. And it was very cult-like and popular with football fans. Cheekily, we said, can we sing it as well? And amazingly, he said yes, which I don't know if any other pop star would say. <laughs> Like, I think if Elvis had asked, you know, someone to write a song for them and they'd say, can we sing it? Elvis would have said, no, that's definitely not on. But Ian Brody said, yeah, you can you can sing it. And so we did. And Ian sent us the music with just la-la-las. And the music was brilliant. I still think the music is amazing of that song. It's such a beautiful song, uh, musically. But then we made a decision, uh, which was we were going to write a song which was about the real experience of supporting England. So not most England songs in the past, like Back Home and you know, or at this time, more than any other time, all those songs that had come in the past had always been about how England were going to win. And that was never true. And in fact, the, the experience was primarily one of disappointment. So we wrote a song which is about that. That's what Three Lines is about. It's about expecting England to be disappointing and everyone saying they're going to be disappointing. Yet somehow or other, a spirit rises within you as a fan that thinks, well, maybe not. And we've got to hope that that isn't going to be the case. And that's the condition of being an England football fan. And we wrote a song about that, really. And then we didn't know quite how it was going to work with the country. It went to number one, but we just, that was brilliant, but we yeah. just thought, well, that's 
maybe just what happens with a song that has got that in, that brand behind it. But here's the most important thing. So then it got knocked off number one by the Fugees, and we thought maybe that's it. <laughs> then England drew with Switzerland in Euro 96. And then the next game, we didn't play very well against Scotland for a half. Then in the second half of that game, and I always say this when people ask me about it, Jamie Redknapp came on and changed the nature of England's midfield just by playing short balls across the midfield. We started playing better. Uh, Gary McAllister missed a penalty. Gaza scored an incredible goal. The sun came out. We won that game. And then the DJ, as England team went off, put on three Lions against the wishes of the FA, who had said, don't play the song, it's too partisan. It'll upset other teams. So he put it on anyway. And the whole crowd joined in. And we had no idea at that point that football fans across the country had taken to heart, knew all the lyrics, and were just singing it spontaneously, 87,000 people, as they came off. I mean, that moment remains, I can't imagine, and I'm going to put in all the caveats about having children, blah, 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 but I can't imagine a moment more extraordinary than that. Well, they were singing it, and it's funny you you say that, because like you said earlier on, it's different now. You would know now, you'd be very much aware of this thing building up by the time it happens, so it's just something that that couldn't really have happened 10 years after that. But we watched the semi-final the pre-match stuff this morning against Germany and it's amazing but at that stage it's being sung as like an anthem before yeah. the game the, the crowd kids old men yeah. and it's a, it's the a funny sheer one. diversity of people in the crowd the singing the song but, it, but it's not just singing the song right? Like I, my memory of it was everyone singing football's coming home it's coming home and so on but they knew every bloody word like they really did every they really word. did know everything yeah. yeah every word I mean it is incredible I mean, there's a number of things I think are, are amazing about it um, I mean one is it's quite rare especially now, I think. Uh, but even then, it's quite rare to have something that bubbles up totally, sort of as it were, from underneath and, and, and really is an expression of kind of popular embrace of something. That doesn't. It's really hard for that to happen because things tend to be a bit imposed on culture now, really, and branded or whatever. You know, this was something that we just did. And I think a combination of the brilliant music and the fact that we were chiming with real people's experience of what it meant to be an England football fan meant that all these people took it to heart individually and then they happen to come together at Wembley and sing it uh, and I guess there's, there's something else though which I think is very important which is more submerged about it which is you know when you watch that semi-final you'll see lots of people flying the cross of St George which is a complicated flag and obviously latterly may be associated with you know Brexit and blah 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 but because Three Lions is such a vulnerable song is at some level absolutely not a triumphalist song about being English it's a song about disappointment and sadness and how you can only hope that it might not happen this time it it takes away i think the aggression that might be associated with seeing people fly that flag and chant a football song no one associates three lions in my opinion with you know <laughs> no surrender to the ira do excuse me but you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah with like the sort of slight rule britannia bad hefty old chanting that you get from some England fans, it's some England games. Because Three Lions doesn't have that. It doesn't have an agree. It's a very, very vulnerable type of patriotism that it displays. And I think, you know, when you talk about diversity or whatever, I think that's one reason which it's carried on. Uh, you know, it hasn't dated as a song because it doesn't have, you know, unfortunate, you know, references in it or whatever. It's a very unnationalistic statement of nationalism. Well, it's interesting that you bring up this idea of vulnerable patriotism because you fast forward to 2018 
and fans were being warned not to bring the St. George flags to Russia because, yeah, yeah you said yeah. it's because it was, it was seen as imperialistic and antagonistic. Right. What happened, uh, maybe a lot, but what happened between Euro 96 and, and 2018 that, that brought back those associations with the flag? Well, Brexit, obviously Russian-British antagonism um, and, you know, just a sort of hardening of attitudes that seemed to happen. I mean, you know, I mean, not just recently but i think quite quickly um some of the sun went out of supporting england and it became it went back a bit to being you know not exactly hooligan led but certainly a sort of grimmer type of of thing um but you know part of what's happened with this team you know is it's in tune with the three lions mentality if you like i mean someone wrote to me and said oh i think the reason this team is like they are is because you know they grew up on three lines, which I don't think is true. It's too much credit for us. But I would say that the way that Gareth Southgate is, and of course Southgate is a big figure in a way with the whole idea of disappointment for England and whatever, and the way that he gets the players to talk about their emotions, Danny Rose talking about being depressed and all the rest of them, uh, you know, the, the, and the way, even the way they talk about the penalties is with a greater sense of sort of psychological self-insight or whatever. You know, it's a different type of thing to the very, very aggressive, violent idea of football that sometimes knocked about from the 70s and 80s and whatever, and which maybe came back a bit. You know, I think that Southgate has, has really helped with that. And Three Lions fits with all that, I think. It fits with a slightly, you know, whatever, more woke idea of the football the football and the football player and the football fan. Southgate has made it his public mission to do that. It's, it's interesting that it's not just... There are a load of pieces being written now about how some of that optimism of 96 is back. As you say, people have been saying it to you and, and that this team represents something fresh and more positive about the country. But it's it's interesting that Southgate, Southgate said a little while ago, we have the chance to affect something bigger than ourselves. We're a team with our diversity and our youth that represent modern England. In England, we spent mm. a, a lot of time a bit lost as to what our modern identity is. I think as a team, mm. we represent that modern identity and hopefully people can connect with us. I mean, usually it's football man talks football, broadsheet columnist imposes political narrative, but Southgate yeah. seems unafraid of, of speaking like this, which yeah. is great. Yeah, well, I guess so. I mean, I, I, I've never met Gareth Southgate, um, but he certainly comes across by, you know, football standards as an intellectual. Um, I don't know if the waistcoat is part of that. Uh, although, I, you know, I, I remain uncertain about the waistcoat. I know I'm out on, out on a limb here. David, what are you talking about? Sales are up well, by 200%. It's, it's gone it's well, gone. Not only that, Marks and Spencers have told me they're sending me a waistcoat. Uh, <laughs> they've called it my lucky waistcoat. And I know why they've done that, because they want me to wear it during the game and take a picture of me wearing it. None of that is going to happen. But, uh, you know, as a... Well, I tell you what, I, Southgate, at the end of the day, is an ex-footballer and has retained his thinness. I myself don't fit in a waistcoat particularly well, so that might be due to my suspicion about waistcoats. But I think you're right. I think, you know, he, he is a thinking person. Whether or not he's an intellectual, he's a thinking person. He's expressive and articulate. Um, he, 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 you know, and the players are allowed to be like that a bit within within the remit of what they're like so you know they're they're athletes they're young whatever but you know sterling wrote a piece about what happened after the tattoo uh thing came out which was really articulate about that i don't know if you noticed as well jordan pickford who was i thought that his both his saves were absolutely extraordinary against columbus i mean the penalty save I, I mean, we in England have never seen a keeper save a penalty like that. You know, it's a brilliant penalty save. But he then, in interviews afterwards, he was quite 
uh, sort of straightforward about who he was with that. He said, I'm an agile keeper. You know, I can, I can get to things like that. And it was a kind of self-confident, not particularly aggressive or self-aggrandizing, but confident thing about who he was and why he could do that with a backdrop, I think, of Courtois having said it was too short and maybe Gary Neville having slightly slagged him off in the, in the, game, in the TV before. He was just clear about who he was and why he could do that. And I thought that was good. It wasn't just sort of face down mumbling or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Is that why you think the team, the public is connecting with the team again? Or is it simply, you know, is it this bigger point that they're representing this confident, modern, multicultural English team? Or is it that they're winning football matches and people like, people like going to the pub and getting pissed and watching their team win football matches? Well, well I, think, I think we shouldn't forget that all of this does require them to win football matches. <laughs> you know, uh, I do a podcast about David Bowie called Stalking Time for the Moon Boys. Um, and I, and I, I've talked on that about how people go on and on about Bowie, uh, who I sometimes call Bowie, even though he's supposed to call Bowie. Um, <laughs> I, how they go on about his, you know, uh, art, artistry and pushing the boundaries of gender and character changing, whatever. And I always say, yeah, well, that's great, but it would all be meaningless without the music. You know, he's an incredible songsmith. He wrote incredible songs, you know, uh, and his voices are made. And, you know, that's what makes it. At the end of the day, it's true with the England team. You know, they are doing things that are very interesting with diversity and, and, and with self-expression and vulnerability and, and blah, blah, blah. But they have to win football matches for any of this to mean anything. Now, maybe the two things go together with penalties to some extent or maybe with the way they held themselves during the Colombian game because... I think a, an older England team might have reacted very badly to the way the Colombians played, uh, and one of them might have got sent off. But so, whatever it is that they're doing to, you know, deepen and make their psychology a bit more complex might help with that, and certainly helps them play better. Do you get the sense that there, th- this is a moment of collective joy that the country has come together in some way? What has been a very divided country over the last few years can experience for the first time maybe in three or four years or longer, can experience the same moments in the same way and all feel part of some sort of a community. Who knows about that? I mean, one would hope so, just to sort of put a slight damper on that. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was funny. Uh, Nigel Farage uh, tweeted after the Colombo game, hey, how great, maybe it's coming home. And Satnam Sengar, I don't know if you know him, he's a very good journalist, writes for, writes for the time, said something like, shut up, you complete charlatan. Most of those players, would, parents would not be in the country if you, if your politics had their way, you know. Uh, so none of them would have come here, and I think that's true. So you know, I wouldn't say that all rifts are going to be healed uh, by you know uh, the England team and football's coming home, but I do think that. You know, let's not forget we're talking about England here. You know, there's Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland that may feel left out here, and it might be annoying, certainly primarily for Scotland, who tend to always most take against. I think England doing well, but anyway, England is sort of feels to me like where the divisions are strongest, I guess, uh, politically at the moment, and yet England does have quite a strong sense sometimes of being a place of enormous communality. I think. I think, you know, one of the things about when we first did Three Lions is me and Frank, we, we knew what it meant to be an England fan. We weren't constructed football fans. We were real football fans. We knew what it meant. So even if we didn't know it would work as well as it did, we wrote from our hearts about what it meant to be an England fan, and it chimed with a whole experience out there, many, many people. So what I'm saying is it might be a divided country with lots of different politics, but certain things, sport being one of them, a lot of people have the same feelings and the same experience. 
So I guess, you know, there's some hope in that for unity. You mentioned all the details come out about the England penalty shootout win. Are you a little bit concerned, David, that, as I would be, to be honest, if I was an England fan, that a little too much detail has come out? If I'm the Swedish goalkeeper, Robin Olsen, I'm thinking, well, I know. I know exactly what's going to happen in this penalty shootout. I know that they use the goalkeeper independent method. I know that Jordan Henderson was the only player not to put it to his natural side in that last shootout. Are you at all concerned about all this? I hadn't thought about it before, but now I am. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one thing that would concern me for what you've just said is that Kieran Trippier said, who took a brilliant penalty and who seems like the most self-confident of the new generation of England players, almost absurdly self-confident. He said afterwards, well... I've been in training and I know where I'm going to put it. I always put it there and I, you just don't change your mind. Now, that's a fine thing to say mm-hmm. after one penalty shootout, but it's slightly forgetting about the further penalty shootouts you might have to take where you have basically said, I always put it there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's maybe a bit of a problem, but I don't know. I mean, that particular penalty was almost unstoppable, so maybe it won't be a problem if Kieran always puts it there. All right, David. Well, that's the England football team nicely dealt with, I think. We're getting a load of texts in on this, and we'll get to those. But what about your own sporting achievements? You're listening to Second Captain Saturday. Coming up after the break, we will rank this sporting life of David Baddiel. Second captain, first captain, whatever. The complex issue of whether or not to cheer on the England football team at the World Cup has provoked quite a response. Ian Eastmo says, fully subscribe to Murph's general theory of supporting them. Also think we should develop the vocabulary around the concept. I support Republic of Ireland. What I feel for other national teams at a tournament needs a different description. And a tweet here from Bob who says, thank God for second captain Saturday. I can now properly articulate why I don't want England to win today without sounding like a begrudger. John says, when I was nine, I supported England in the 66 World Cup. I knew the players from collecting the football cards and so on as I knew the players in 1970. I also supported England and Leeds. This year, I don't know the players except Harry Kane, but it's time we supported them. They threw everything behind us when we progressed beyond them in 1990. Uh, yeah, maybe they did. I was too young to really appreciate English support of the Ireland team at that stage. And they progressed past us though, John. That is a point worth raising. Mm. We maybe were knocked Euro out in the quarterfinal. No, not even Euro 88. Ah, I'm sure it's <laughs> USA 94. USA 94. We There's qualified, they didn't. Yeah, they yeah. rode in behind. That must be it. Tweet us at Second Captains. We'll get to more of those later on. David Baddiel is our first guest at the new series of Second Captain Saturday. David, before we get to your own sporting achievements, I'd like your thoughts on this matter. In fact, the big question is where should Irish people stand on England beating Sweden and maybe going all the way to the final? Should we be mature about it? Cheer on Garrett's boys? Or do we just owe it to England to keep on hating their national football team? No, no but here's the thing yeah. about Ireland, which I could be wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. Right, but Ireland is not Scotland, I think, with this. Uh, I mean, Irish people have lots of reasons to hate the English. But yet, my experience of Irish people and football is that they don't hate England. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, but, mm, yeah, I mean, you, you I might... mean they watch English yeah. football all the time. You know, like Roddy Doyle is a massive Chelsea fan. You know, I know loads of Irish people are like massive Man United fans. Um, when England didn't get into the World Cup in 74 and 78, we just supported Scotland. It didn't occur to us not to support Scotland. But obviously, that's one of the things that annoys Scottish people, is that England, English football fans don't hate Scotland. It's part of the inferiority complex that there's not even an equality in the hatred. We just quite like Scotland and hope they do well, which is, feels patronising to them. Yeah. But I don't feel the same sense with Ireland that Irish, the Irish football fans hate the English. I might be wrong. Well, that's actually exactly the debate that's happening in this country at the moment. The idea that, right. in a weird kind of way, do we owe it to the English 
to hate their football team because, as you say, to say, oh, well, listen, we're supporting England is by itself patronising to you. And, you know, maybe hate is too strong, but it's... You well, know, no, but it's, Scottish fans do hate England. I mean, a lot of the time. I mean, genuinely. Or find it incredibly annoying if England do well or whatever. Uh, whereas... I think the rivalry, such as it is, because it doesn't feel like a proper rivalry to English people. I mean, actually, a German bloke said this to me. A German bloke, which is funny, of course, before they went out on Twitter, said to me, you know, I th- we think it's hilarious that you think you're rivals with us, Germany. We think of you like you think of Scotland. And, and that was him being funny. But I, I think I can see how you might think that. Germany, who've won the World Cup four times. Is it four or five? I can't remember. But a lot of times, you know, we've beaten you once in one final, but essentially you're a much better side generally, historically. You know, yet we sort of think of ourselves as rivals with Germany. So my point is, I think I think that, I don't know what the debate is in Ireland, but I, I, as English football fans, you are aware of Scottish fans' hatred. You sort of hope romantically that either I, I, Irish football fans don't hate England quite in the same way. All right, David, it's time to establish your own sporting credentials now. I guess the question is, are you any good at football? You know, I, I think I am good at football. I think that is not an opinion shared by anyone I play football <laughs> with. Um, and uh, I, I have said to people in the past that I could have been a pre- professional footballer if I'd wanted to. And a couple of people have said, you did want to. And that is true. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, I do think I'm good at football. I play football every Tuesday night, seven-a-side football, and we play at Arsenal uh, in the seven-a-side pitch at the, around the back of Arsenal's uh, uh, state, back, back of the Emirates. We used to play at Highbury. There used to be a, a little seven-a-side pitch there. I'll tell you a couple of things about them. It's, it's showbiz people, not primarily, but there's quite a lot of showbiz people in it. So Angus Deaton plays in it, and Clive Anderson plays in it, and Alan Davis has played in it. Ardell O'Hanlon has played in, in that mm. game. It's called the Snake Pit Strollers, is what it's called. Um, and uh, at the moment, the original members of the Strollers, of which I am one, are getting so old now that, uh, well, three of us have died over the course of time I've been playing, um, <laughs> and lots and lots of sons are now playing. So people who are in their you know, late teens or early 20s, and they are much too good. But once a year, uh, the Snake Pit Strollers take whoever plays, which is normally a pool of players of about 14 players who play in this seven-a-side game, and we all go to Italy, and we play an 11-a-side game against village sides. And that's our great thing that we do. And we, uh, we rarely win that game because they're Italian. But we have won it occasionally. We've actually put a little bit of thought into what your sporting highlight is. Has it occurred yeah. in, the, in these beautiful you know, pitches in Italy? It yeah. I can tell you what it is. I think it was five years ago I scored in that game the winning goal of the second game of what you would call the tournament of the Snake oh, Controllers the in Italy. The ball came to me on the edge of the area and I'm left-footed and I hit right through the ball and it went in and that's the only goal I've scored in the Italian trip and the Italian trip has happened, I think I've been on it seven times but that is my sporting highlight. Was there a, was there a goal celebration? I, I didn't have a planned goal celebration involving any kind of dance or any kind of symbol with my hands about having a baby or anything like that. Uh, I did definitely punch the air but no one came to hug me or anything. Um, <laughs> well, listen, I think we've plenty here for Murph to work with as he yeah. breaks down. Yeah. Get ready for it, David. <laughs> as he breaks down this sporting life of David Badia. You don't understand. I could have had class. We don't have stars in this game, Mrs. Weaver. Well, what do you have then? People like me. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. 
So, David, here goes. Uh, a short reminder to our listeners about the methodology required to find this year's greatest non-sports person sports person. We will assess your sporting highlight, identify the sports person that we feel would best encapsulate your abilities and achievements, and then rank you out of 100. So your sporting okay. highlight, scoring the winner for the Snake Pit Strollers, away from yeah. home, in Umbria, always a tough yeah. place to Difficult go and get a result, go, of course. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. comes a little later in life, shall we say, than previous yeah. sporting highlights that we've heard. If we're being honest, usually these highlights are from younger, more innocent, t- school-going age, basically, is what I'm talking about here. But I, for yeah. one, applaud your dedication to sticking it to some poor, unsuspecting Italians when in yeah. your uh, 40s. So that's the sort yeah. of age-defying dedication to getting the victory that reminds me of nothing more than 1960s Christy Ring raging against the dying of the light. You obviously have no idea who the late Christy Ring is, David. No, but he, no uh, idea. He, uh, he played hurling for Cork until, until he was about <laughs> 102. So, uh, obviously, you have more hair than he did, and I'm pretty certain yeah. you wouldn't want England to win the World Cup. But uh, that aside, yeah, and the fact no, that you're an atheist, true. it's impossible to tell you and Ringy apart other than that. Yeah, so, and also you mentioned Desert Island Discs, and another thing you may remember is that I took Dylan Thomas reading uh, um, Do Not Go Gently Into That Good Night yes, to the yeah. Desert Island, so I think <laughs> it's incredibly appropriate that you've chosen that uh, to rank me as someone who was up there with the man who played hurling when he was 102. Mm. Oh, the, the ranking gets even more blunt than that, because I'm actually going to give you a points total of 75 out of 100 for ah, that effort later in your that's sporting brilliant. Life. We'll add or subtract another 10 in just over a week if your song actually does bring football home we haven't decided yet so David okay. Baddiel this has been oh, your sport round of applause please David Baddiel thank you so much great score thank you so much and it's an absolute pleasure enjoy the match thank you and remember football's coming home apparently <laughs> <laughs> we're not creative enough we're not positive enough it's coming home it's coming home it's coming football's coming home we're- Come on, it's a great tune, isn't it? Quite enough of that now. One more second, Rick. <laughs> okay, okay, let's quit while we're ahead. Let's, let's fade this down here. Top level trolling of our Thanks press again here. to David Medea for giving us an exclusive interview. And an excellent interview, I hope you agree, on the morning of England versus Sweden in a World Cup quarterfinal. It was great to have him on. A lot of reaction. Great to hear David on Irish Radio. Loved him on Desert Island Discs, says Marie. That was brilliant. I listened to that this mm. week. And go and have a listen to that if you get a chance. David's confusing England with English people, says JP. Well, it was interesting to note that he seemed blissfully unaware that anybody in Ireland might have any qualms <laughs> yeah. about supporting them. David says, it's the first time I've questioned whether I should support them. Love them to do well That's for progress. the players and for Southgate, but Brexiteers couldn't stomach what they do with all this. My 12-year-old son, named after Michael Collins, sings this song all day like a true Brit, says mm. Louise. I have to say, the, right. the counterpoint for me did come from Keith Duggan in the Irish Times today. What about James Corden? That did give me pause, I must say. Let's get back to Ken in Moscow before we go. Ken, despite your stance on supporting England, I know you have a soft spot for their star player. After all, Harry Kane is one of our own. His grandfather is from Letter Frack in Connemara. And there's apparently a pub in the area giving out free rounds of drinks mm. every time he scores a goal in this seems, World Cup. Seemed mm. like a great idea at the time, on. <laughs> Do you expect sure. the barman's have to stump up again today? I would, I'd say so. I mean, he's he scored six and four. I mean, so he's... Um, yeah, it looks it looks like it. I mean, I suppose the connection with, with Letter Frack is a bit closer than, you know, Barack Obama to Money Gall or whatever. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't like Harry Kane because I think he's Irish. I I like him because he sort of reminds me of like uh, uh, a 1940s RAF wing commander. Did, did you see the movie Dunkirk? Yeah. Uh, the character played by Tom Hardy. Yes, very Harry Kane-like, yeah. 
that's Harry Kane. Mm. Now, Harry Kane is Harry Kane is about, I think, a foot too tall to actually have, have been in one of those plays. <laughs> but I can just I can just see him in his leather flying jacket and his, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he just there's just something about him that I like. Uh, but I don't wish him any luck today. And uh, and uh, uh, Forza Sveriga, I guess, to, to mix a couple of <laughs> to mix a couple of languages. Thanks, Ken. Enjoy the game. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Ken. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. <laughs> <laughs> well, the great man has spoken there. That goes for everybody. Enjoy the match if you're watching it. And thanks so much for getting in touch today. You can listen to us throughout the week with daily shows in the Second Captain's World Service. Check us out at secondcaptains.com. We're back here next Saturday at 10 a.m. Mark Horgan and Simon Hick produced the show. Killian Down researched. Thanks to Caro O'Hare on sound. Marion Fanukin is up next. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Alan. We'll see you next week. Second captain, first captain, whatever. They never got home, those, those, those boys. 